I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the July 26th, 2021 edition of Digging Out. This program offers a means for getting us past November 3rd, 2020, January 6th, 2021, and beyond as we collectively clear the debris from the last four days, four weeks, four years, four decades, and four centuries. Today, we are going to consider the Orange County Board of Supervisors, their mode of operating and making policy, and the norms of local government that they tend to keep eroding. We're doing that today with my guest, Norberto Santana, the founding publisher and editor-in-chief of the nonprofit digital newsroom, Voice of OC. Let's begin the interview now. Norberto oversees all newsroom engagement and fundraising operations and writes a weekly opinion column about Orange County government. The most recent one on the Santa Ana Angels negotiations is a real barn burner like most of them. Over the last several years, Norberto has been recognized by the Orange County Press Club and a shout out to all those awards they racked up yesterday as we're taping this interview today on July 23rd. So congratulations there. Norberto Santana also serves on board of directors for several trade groups and teaches public affairs and investigative journalism at Chapman University. Before founding The Voice of OC, he was a lead investigative reporter for the Orange County Register, focusing on county government. That's why he's the guy and gives us all kinds of opportunity to explore the kind of ways in which the Orange County Board of Supervisors is operating. He's a seasoned journalist from so many different stints around the country. And in addition to his experience as a journalist, he, the Southern California native has a master's in Latin American studies and worked on elections as an elections analyst in the National Endowment for Democracy programs across Latin America, and was one of the founders of cubanet.org. And we will have to save all of my earnest questions about Cuba for another day because it was expressly to hone in on our local government, the Orange County Board of Supervisors. Norberto comes to us today from his home office in South County. Welcome to Digging Out and back to Radio KUCI, Norberto Santana. Thank you for having me, Claudia. I appreciate your kind words and support. Thank you. So we're making, as I said, the Orange County Board of Supervisors our focus. The latest Mainly, we, I'd like to take up their performance during the pandemic and how they're using this office. And we're also amidst a redistricting mapping process throughout the Orange County. All of the board's districts are being remapped. And I, I wanna break that down in a little bit more detail too. So at July 23rd, what kind of general kind of characterization would you like to capture in the way in the, the kind of faith they're operating in that affects, has an impact on every single of the almost 3 million constituents? Well, I mean, I think that, that people should be asking serious questions about how well their quality of life, both immediately and long-term is being managed by that board of supervisors, by that county government. How intelligently are they making investments in key areas such as uh, infrastructure, housing, environmental protection, just basic infrastructure. I think there's a lot of questions there. I think in general, we're lucky here in the United States that government 
you know, we generally have, uh, you know, a lot of the, the big ticket items, flood control channels, you know, here in Southern California seem to work, you know, those types of things are funded. There's other things like streetcars across the middle of Santa Ana that there's a big question mark or the big dome that's over the Arctic station right off the 57 freeway. That's a billion dollar project and that nobody in government even knows what to do with. I think those are the kind of like big ticket items or, or Irvine's Great Park, uh, where you really look at the county board of supervisors and ask oneself, what kind of leadership are we getting on those regional issues? Last year, we had a pretty strong regional issue, public health with the coronavirus pandemic. And I don't know that anybody at any level of government got great reviews, but I think here locally, there was a ton of confusion uh, and lack of vision, lack of courage, lack of empathy from that board for much of what Orange County had to endure. And I don't know that there was a particularly guided approach towards it. It seemed overly politicized, at least from those of us, the reporters that were there in the trenches covering it day to day. Simple things like masks, where to identify what areas were the most impacted immediately so that we could get relief to it. Last year felt like watching a wildfire burn for months on end before anybody put a drop of water anywhere near it. Ultimately being saved by the community health groups, which have been so underfunded over the last decade, but were the only ones that had real connections into these threatened areas and neighborhoods and ultimately showed up with real solutions when asked to be, you know, when deployed by the board of uh, supervisors and the county government did their job remarkably well and lowered positivity rates in the central core of Orange County in an incredibly fast manner. And, and right after that, what do we see? Do we see a dumbling down of investments into that community health clinic and other nonprofits? No, we see a, a bid process begin to potentially outsource that to outside contractors. I mean, you tell me, what's the public policy point of doing something like that to continue to have a network of local nonprofits and community clinics which are underfunded and again, have come out of you know, an area where they had to go into their own reserves in some cases to keep their doors open. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think it would make sense to any reasonable person. You don't hear the board members talk much about that on the dais. Frankly, these days they meet less and they talk less about policy. So let's talk right to the point about public health, nonprofits, public health policy, public health financial resources, so there was, I guess you could sort of break down, there's different kinds of dances some of these nonprofits are doing with the Orange County Board of Supervisors that has a lot of resources that they're just sitting on right now. So Dr. America Bracca from the Bracha. Latino Health Access, she was fearless in bringing, was it to about the month of June, July at the absolute latest. She went boldly forth at one of the forums that the Board of Supervisors conducted. It was a public meeting slash like a press event that mm -hmm. she held what I thought was the masterclass in leadership. I think she's really very openly trying to sort of shake them for the lack of leadership, the lack of vision that you know, you're talking about here. And I wanna talk about that track versus Norberto. When I was at Congresswoman Porter's presser a couple of weeks ago that the Community Action Partnership put on. And there I was talking with the United Way and the other, and the Community Action Partnership people and their sort of affiliates. And I was asking them to speak to 
what do they think about the resources that the county has that's not they're not releasing that would be paired beautifully with the missions of those nonprofits. And I got Norberto a pretty definite reaction. They didn't want to be sort of openly critiquing the Board of Supervisors' lack of performance. So we've got the Latino Health Access, they're going to make up their points, but others are more definite. So maybe we could talk about that kind of dynamic going on and maybe the Board of Supervisors knows they can get away with kind of maintaining that kind of relationship with some, sort of muzzling them and the others they know are a more sort of vocal critique in a, a sophisticated way of delivering the critique. That's happened for years in Orange County. I mean, that's the big challenge, I think, of the social service network we have. Many of the grants that come out towards many of these brave nonprofits that do amazing work at the local level are controlled by the county, thus the County Board of Supervisors, who over the last decade have become more and more politicized you know, even basic contracting of, uh, of government agencies. So yeah, you have a real difficult situation there. You're, you have these nonprofits who are forced to fill in the breach of the lack of funding. At the same time, they feel like they and many others that are in that situation feel difficult to criticize those people that they have to go get grants from. That's why I think, again, it raises serious questions about who we're putting in office and how this is structured because we have plenty of money it seems like the money is just not being put to where the needs are in a realistic manner. And we've got an old antiquated structure from the 1850s of leaving five people in charge of about 800,000 people, you know, in Orange County, you know, for each district. And we treat them as kings and queens of their districts. That, to me, I, you couldn't have a worse way to do contracting policy or anything. And it gets more and more politicized with every passing year. I've been watching the board. Before I used to work for the Orange County Register from 2004 to 2009. Since 2009, I've watched the board, as you said, publisher and editor for Voice of OC, and I've seen them get worse and worse, less policy and more political, less open and more secretive, more putting their tentacles into the actual contracting of contracts in government. And you see, last year showed us the, the results of that approach to government, in my opinion. Well, the, the, the situation was so dire, as you use that analogy, as a wildfire spreading, and it was sort of like, well, they were wearing the asbestos suits outside of their districts, so it was like a tone deaf, even when they were being figurative, they were tone deaf just as being figures in, in the public office. And political. I mean, again, uh, well, and very, very political, a... because there were lots of campaigns, including one congressional right. campaign, and, and so I don't know if that was what the whole service of the only reason we had board of supervisor press conferences was to give some optics for somebody leading who was running a congressional campaign in the 48th congressional district of the coastal communities. Was there any other you, reason why there were press conferences? You do the math during the middle of the, uh, the crisis, as you said, the chairperson at the time, Michelle Steele, who is now member of Congress was able to do start off those press conferences once a week and would leave after giving, you know, a 10 to, you know, five to 10 minute introduction, would never take questions from reporters, but leave, got that bump all the way through. After the November election, uh, the highest death rates in Orange County were December and January, where it was on fire again. And those were the months where they completely shut down all of the public information. 
After the November elections, we never saw another press conference again. After the beginning of the year, we don't even see a weekly update on what's happening with pandemic planning or response at all at the Board of Supervisors. Because again, I, I can't read into why they don't want to do things. All I can tell you is what they do on the dais, you know, and in terms of contracts. And the last year should make, a lo- should make every Orange County taxpayer seriously question, at minimum, the lack of transparency. And that's something that not just we have questioned, OC Tax has questioned that, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association has questioned that. I mean, just about any kind of good government group should be asking questions about when billions of dollars are being spent in a very non-transparent way. You would think this is a unique opportunity to have a wonderful community conversation. And instead of focusing on the negativity of maybe, let's say, masks and people's different opinions on that, maybe we could be focused on the, you know, the challenges moving forward of making outdoor dining a little bit more common so that less risky, working with interior commercial spaces, looking at maybe office space that isn't being used anymore that maybe can be converted into affordable housing, working with the homeless to make sure that vaccination rates there are at pace with the rest of society. And yet none of that is being discussed on any level. There's no special meetings about it or hearings or press conferences. They don't lead at all, except when it comes to getting pay and benefits, cars, car allowances, pensions, 401ks. They're experts at that. And I mean, their government has gotten, you know, their offices get more expensive with every passing year. They have massive staffs. I was there when the chief of staff and, and other senior staffers at supervisors' offices were really senior level policy people. That's not the case anymore. We're not seeing that level of interaction or policy being created at the board level at all. Again, I think that taxpayers should be asking some hard questions about what do they do or are they, you know, the kind of appendix of government? I mean, it should be one of the more active levels of local government because they implement a host $8 billion worth of state and federal programs that are mainly health and human services. So it's a lot of heavy lifting programs, you know, how's probation working? What's up with foster kids? What are we doing with the homeless? Uh, How is the jail operating? You know, tough tough, tough areas that they don't ask any, I mean, you've covered them. They don't ask any of these kind of questions in public. I can't remember the last time I heard any any kind of debate along these kind of policy lines. I want just for listeners who've just tuned in, my guest here on Digging Out is Norberto Santana, the founding publisher and editor-in-chief of the nonprofit digital newsroom, Voice of OC. And we're talking expressly about the Orange County Board of Supervisors. So I want to know, Norberto, the lack of expending the resources that are sitting in, I don't know what those accounts are considered. It's not like an escrow, but it's, it's not interest bearing, but it's just, it's money. It's money allocated that passed through from federal, from state, or directly uh, from local sources. That is it a fact that if they were to spend it, it would create some kind of a program that would be high risk for them to say, oh, we placed it here. Let me, if you don't spend it, then you don't have to say a a sort of a locally unwanted kind of a public health facility would be placed somewhere as that our otherwise good Samaritans couldn't imagine having adjacent to their name, their home school office or something? Is that part of it? Or is it by withholding expenditures of all the public funds available to the County Board of Supervisors, 
it's sort of like a way to sort of pull it over here and transact, negotiate who those contractors are that are going to benefit from those funds or both. Look, ultimately, we get the government that we deserve. We get the government that reflects us. We are the ones that elect these people in office. We are the people that elect these people in office with the records that they produce. So, I mean, to some degree, what we have to do is take a hard look at ourselves in the mirror and ask ourselves, again, how engaged are we keeping an eye on our local government and asking our local officials what exactly they are doing? Because most of the time when you ask, you're going to be troubled by getting a lot of empty answers. And you're going to find out that a lot of elected officials aren't deep policy wonks. You know, they go up there, they generally participate on a budget adoption you know, and after that, ask yourself, ask any politician, what's the biggest thing you've introduced in the last six months? And, I, you know, the ones we interview are challenged to do that. That's why they come up with things in the middle of the night, like extending their term limits. It's a lot of gimmicks. Lately. Well, we are going to talk about that structural aspect, but I, I want to stay to the point here about what what do people really know? I mean, I it's it can be a, maybe a buzzkill for some kind of social gatherings, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to ask, remind people what the board of supervisors is in charge of, and like you said, the public health agencies is, is a large share of that. But they a lot of people don't understand that they are providing public safety for municipalities that don't have their own security forces, their own police departments, and so people are are grossly undereducated. And I would you say that the County Board of Supervisors is making a, a big calculation that people are just gonna not eyes over here, watch what they're doing. They're, people aren't gonna bone up on what's the Board of Supervisors charter and what's their performance. Are they just counting I think on most that? I think most politicians are counting on that. That's why we talked about it. It's so important for citizens to get involved in their own government. You can't leave this to somebody else. We, we have the kind of a Home Depot, do-it-yourself form of government. So if you don't show up to the work site ever, you know, you're kind of crazy to expect good things out of people that you're not keeping an eye on. It's just so that, that simple. And that work site was pretty crazy, Norberto, in the earlier months, the, the first year of the pandemic. And how that played out with who showed up, who was engaged at the board meetings, it was... I think it was a dress rehearsal for January 6th. Uh, as soon as January 6th happened I, uh, and names were, people were getting sort of called and the FBI was tracking certain people down. I thought, oh my goodness, those were, those are the people that were every week showing, every meeting showing up for the Board of Supervisors. So there was a, it was a structural thing is the ones whose brand it was not to, to be worried about the public hazard of the pandemic, they showed up and that crowded out people that were very conscientiously trying to deal with the threat of the pandemic. They weren't gonna mix with that crowd. So it's sort of like, it was a lopsided turnout of who was engaged. We can talk about that. And then the fact that it was the chairman, Andrew Doe that decided within the last week and a half, there will be no more emails read into the record by the council for the board of supervisors. So talk about, there's part one is, Who's showing up? Sure. Who feels like it? It's, it's their brand to show up and trot out their fearlessness and the people whose brand it is to be con conscientious about observing public health protocols weren't going to be there and how their, their they were further muzzled, that latter group, by the chairman, Doe, who can make those rules. 
It just speaks again to how unprepared the county government was, even though it's disaster plans, have pandemic included in those disasters they should be ready for. And one of the principal things in a pandemic is communication. And it's one of the least things that this government pays attention to, whether that's on purpose or whether that's just the result of just putting priorities in other places and just not having enough money. I mean, you know, they built a $300 million new building that has no teleconferencing possibilities at all. So when they got hit by a pandemic, they were completely unable to even do their own kind of like internet press conferences. They had to be blasting them on Facebook live with somebody holding a phone over in the corner, jiggling it back and forth as the reporters tried to listen and ask questions. I mean, they fumbled it at every turn. The people that are showing up, I mean, look, I wouldn't say every single one of those people is an insurrectionist. There are a lot of- Not uh, every single one, but it gave them a great platform. They really- Well, fair enough. I mean, that's what, public comment is a platform for everybody. You know, as you said, kind of just go up there and, you know, let the public know what you think, you know? And Many of us are able to make our judgments based on listening to these people, whether they sound reasonable or not, whether they cite reasonable information, you know, or not. But at the same time, what I hear up there a lot are just frustrated, scared people who see information that changes a lot. And when they go up there to engage their government, they just get a blank stare or they get people that are staring down into a text. I think that's like throwing gas on a fire in the middle of a pandemic or an emergency to not allow people to ask as many questions as they need to, to ultimately you know, reach a point of comfort or not. But what I think what we saw over the entire year was a systematic approach to not listen to any kind of public comment. And as you said, they also didn't listen to the people who did not feel safe going into a workspace that the board themselves had not prepared for people didn't comply with what would later be called the OSHA regulations would come in and say, you must require masking on an indoor area like that. They didn't take any of those kind of precautions for people who would see things a different way, right? And did not want to walk into a room with a bunch of people that are, you know, hostile to vaccines and don't want to wear masks. And certainly, again, that's their right. But the other people had rights too. And the board didn't create a mechanism as you said earlier, they didn't. They could have read many more email comments into the record about what the majority of Orange County uh, residents thought, and they didn't take any time to let that public comment, you know, kind of filter through. You would think a governing official would want to hear what the public thinks on both sides, right? On all sides. Let me so take all that into account. It was a real distortion account. of public engagement. There, oh, there was a one vocal aspect. And if, if we did the numbers, it's probably not just that it was lopsided, but it was a probably, we could say, even for Orange County, the minority voice that, that was the loudest. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. I think that in some ways that the board just kind of cowered behind the dais for most of the pandemic, you know, really didn't know what to do with the dais that they have. They didn't really step up as leaders. Now, again, I always like to think they're not bad people. They just weren't particularly, it's like a baseball player. They just didn't hit particularly well this last year. They weren't prepared. They just didn't do a particularly good job. And I think that's because they've had many years of not having a lot of focus on what they do, you know, or don't do. As you said, they do, you know, represent, they do are responsible for law enforcement contracts. And I think it's as many as 13 cities throughout Orange County. Do they pay attention to the rises in those contracts that come 
when they negotiate hefty increases to deputy sheriff salaries who happen to contribute to their campaigns through their unions, which again is their First Amendment right to do. But again, was there a big discussion on this? Were there big hearings to understand so that South County and other leaders throughout Orange County, city leaders that depend on that service, understand the budgetary impact that's coming at them? Because those people negotiate the salary contract, but they're not the people to have to answer to the resident on the ground providing the service that just went up in price for a reason that nobody can explain. That, I think, is the biggest challenge facing us as free people, that we have billions of dollars that are going towards a myriad of government agencies supposedly that aimed to you know, improve our quality of life. We heard from the boaters in Dana Point Harbor uh, maybe about a week ago that were complaining about boat slip increases. Well, that's just right after the Board of Supervisors had a process where they handed over the marina to a network of private operators now. Were there tons of hearings on that? In some ways, it was an issue that was kicked around for many years, but I don't think it was a particularly good you know, hashing out of all the different interests that come to play into something like a public harbor. I don't think they do that. Even for Miles Square Park the other day, a supervisor. That, yes, was that unusual? We, we'll talk and we can Beyond have unusual. you explain. Beyond it, unusual. That board member that. from Costa Mesa, former mayor, Katrina Foley, won for the Mile Park in Fountain Valley, the whole plan of improvements, which are, I, I don't know, on the order of several million. I, you have the, maybe the number at the top of your head there, that she wanted for people to see the process to make it transparent and for people to engage in that. I mean, everybody has some event. We all in the county benefit from that particular amenity, that rather sizable park in the centrally located Fountain Valley, Mile Square Park. So that she wanted to hear out the recreation director for the county and then not that many minutes in, the board chair cut off the discussion of that. And it wasn't clear what was the reason for that. I've never seen that in all of the years that I've covered the Board of Supervisors. I've never seen a supervisor whose district includes that park, by the way. That was very completely, strange. Yeah, completely shut out of a conversation. In fact, the motion, I believe, to cut off debate was seconded by another Democrat, Doug Chafee. So on the same ideological side as Supervisor Katrina Foley, who is also a Democrat. I think, again, it is emblematic of just this resistance to have, you know, public debates are not always easy. Lots of people have different views about how our tax dollars should be spent. I mean, imagine just figuring out where to go to dinner between five friends. How long does that take? You know, <laughs> compare that to spending an $8 billion budget, right? That Our budget hearings should go on forever because there's a myriad implications of every decision that we're making with those dollars. And to see five people adopt, we did something this year where we asked them, what did you do to the budget? What is your special thing? What did you tweak? Nothing. Crickets. So I mean, it's we like, haven't even brought good? up the, the, the John Wayne, the private aviation leases. Those were, that was probably for you, one of the sort of high watermarks of, of money moving around without any real clarity. Well, it's probably the most recent opportunity for fundraising for county supervisors. Once again, you put these people, these elected officials, in positions to oversee a largely professional bureaucracy of 20,000 employees and $8 billion. Then you put this cherry on top of this board of supervisors that then it, you know, makes a host of political decisions about where funding goes. 
that's again a question about efficiency about is that the best way to run that kind of institution where the end user like we just had cities not too long ago that were complaining about having to pay out of their own general funds to do uh, mental health nurses to do homelessness response when the county is receiving millions of dollars for homelessness response it's going in but it's not going out that's what the cities will tell you i mean they're having to meet that basic service which it seems odd and again, very little debate about billions of dollars in the CARES Act funds. You know, this is what organizations yes. like OC Tax and Howard Jarvis Tax uh, Association also have deep issues with, is that it goes in there. And again, what you have here is a structural problem with where tax dollars go and not a lot of oversight over them. So the South County cities who pay their taxes, the people who decide what their law enforcement uh, looks like are funding it from all the way in Santa Ana. Same thing with homelessness. The cities that are the most impacted by homelessness have the same board of supervisors trying to sort of figure out what to do with that, but putting over it a host of political you know, lenses over these just basic public policy problems. And you see the result, it's not particularly good. Now, there's not a lot of jurisdictions throughout the state, let's say, look at LA, San Francisco, that themselves are doing a great job. That's what the Board of Supervisors will point to all the time and say, look, LA- the deflection. Well, yeah, they're like, they're much worse. They also forget to tell you that they're 10 times larger than Orange County and that they're much more impacted because they're more urban areas. But if you continue to fumble along and have the weak response that you have in Orange County over homelessness, it's only a matter of time before you end up with the same kind of skid row explosion that you have in LA. You just have a little bit more time to react, which again, one of the things I've seen in my at least dozen years of working with Voice of OC is the need for citizen commissions, the need for citizen involvement. You have to have oversight over politicians, over police, uh, over fire, over animal shelters. You know, you're crazy not to. So I think that going into the 21st century, I think we're crazy to just have political offices designed in 1850 still running largely as they were originally designed. I think that after the bankruptcy in 1994, a host of political leaders asked, like Marion Bergeson, a uh, former Republican state assemblywoman, asked a host of great questions. She was, I think, a, a sitting supervisor at the time of whether they should be made part-time and you know, have uh, more of a, a professional government that can be held accountable by whether it's a council of cities or you know, a coalition of, of people. It reminds me of the Homelessness Commission, which just once again this past week did not have a quorum to meet. And it's Here. chock full of people that themselves say are conflicted from taking over the chairman's position because they get government contracts or they get count contracts from the county. We left it in politicians' hands. In this case, we went from a Republican, Andrew Doe, to a Democrat, Doug Chafee. The commission still doesn't meet. It still seems to be you know, waking up to a problem like I said before, with the pandemic, is a runaway wildfire that should be really tackled quickly and has solutions. We have the money and the tools and resources to deal with homelessness quite effectively, I think. But it's just like, again, like a wildfire that is allowed to burn while there's very little questioning of contractors, outcomes, uses, redirecting of monies. They like to build buildings and they like to cut ribbons is what I'm noticing really an expertise in. Yeah, that doesn't hold a, the Republic as a, so to speak, the local Republic together. So Norberto, where 
where does that money sit? Is it in any kind of interest bearing kind of, I mean, kind of an account? I mean, is it just sitting there? Because it's a lot of money. Well, it's all sitting in a series of funds. I mean, the general fund, I mean, the main funds at the county, These, this is where all this money goes and it sits there. I mean, you know, right now they're sitting on a billion dollars that they got from the uh, federal government. And again, completely, I don't see a process to have an inclusive hearings to even take input from business leaders or faith leaders, medical professionals. You would think if I had a billion dollars, if you had a billion dollars, would you, wouldn't you ask a lot of people, what would you want me to do with it before you just started making decisions or just ask your professional staff to kind of just double down on the system that you've got? Well, or we'll, it's worse than that is when there are laser-like focused questions from journalists, there's a deflection. Well, we'll get back to you. And there, I don't know what happens when there were press conferences. Did they ever get back to you about the smaller funds? No, the, the, you know, the ability of them to answer questions is extremely limited. They have just a few PIOs. They don't put any kind of resource into processing public records at all. So those take forever and a day. Every single time, doesn't matter whether you're talking to the sheriff's department, the CEO's office, you're talking to one PIO trying the best they can to deal with tons of public records. I mean, again, as you remember when the chairman uh, Doe called us the noise of OC because yeah. we submit too many public records requests. But you would think an $8 billion government the size of many U.S. states would generate a lot of questions. Again, I'm stunned by the lack of question by the medical community, by the business community, by the faith community in what our government is doing. I think it's, it's an incredibly misplaced faith in people that at the end of the day are incredibly human. I hate to tell you. For those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to Digging Out. We're recording this on July 23rd. My guest is Norberto Santana, the founding publisher and editor-in-chief of the nonprofit digital newsroom, Voice of OC, an important resource. We're going to give it its due near the latter portion of this interview so that people know what a vital resource. I don't think I would know three-fourths of what I know about Orange County were it not for the Voice of OC. It's, it's an amazing source of what's going on. But it's not a water cooler. It's, it's a full-on newspaper. So I, what... Absolutely. Well, I want to look at that. It's an opportunity, Norberto, and I'm concerned that it's going to be an opportunity that opens and it's going to close when Supervisor Katrina Foley, formerly, as I mentioned, mayor of Costa Mesa, was elected in a special election in, I believe, March. And it was only because there was a crowded race. It's a nonpartisan position, but the Republicans ran about four different candidates and there may have been one lesser known Democrat running, but mainly it was Katrina. So she was able to actually fill this position. But my point here is, and I'm getting to it, is that she has an opportunity to pry open a few doors here, but I'm worried that the door, that opportunity is gonna close. The Republicans are gonna be a lot more disciplined around the campaign in 2022 when this seat closes because it's just it was a vacated seat so she doesn't get more than about a year and a half in her term here so talk first about the opportunities that you're banking on her being motivated to open up some of the way business is being conducted and there's anecdotal and there's sort of general themes there and 
what do you think is going to happen with her seat? Are you as pessimistic as I am that there will be one who's a little more interested in government and leadership, one who's used to governing, this opportunity close that she's probably a short-termer there? Well, I mean, you know, I'm not a partisan. I'm not a partisan. It's not the partisan. I'm looking at what function she serves. Yeah, fair enough. But what I would say is this, is that by the mere fact that she's been up there, she's been asking a lot of questions. And that has been a rare thing to see, especially the way that has been shut down. I don't know if it's, you know, she's a woman. I don't know if it's because she's a Democrat and they're just trying to sort of like shut her down from questioning certain things. But as you mentioned, she asked some completely legitimate questions about Mile Square Park. And she was shut down in a manner that I've not seen a supervisor ever before. Now, there and she were, also uh, brought up the, she said, well, we're not really relaying any of the pandemic uh, data. And I, it's and she practically inserted that right there in the most recent board of supervisors meeting. So it's yeah. a kind of a, by the way, another pry open, we all thought we'd like to let you know kind of manner of doing business. So you, to your points, you were saying about her getting shut down and well, all accounts. On all counts. Now, again, there's a fellow Democrat on that board. That uh, fellow Democrat voted to shut that specific discussion down. So, again, what I meant to say by uh, saying I'm not a partisan, I, I don't have faith in partisan outcomes very much at all. I have, if anything, as an engine mechanic that looks at local government, I think you have to, again, there's that old saying of expect what you inspect. If you don't have good popular participation in your government, I think you're crazy to expect good outcomes. And I think we're seeing that over in Anaheim with the stadium, even in places like Santa Ana that are run by Democrats, there's a lot of questions about how quick the pandemic response has gotten out there or things like opportunities to purchase open space for a community that desperately needs it. And a city council that seems to be dragging its feet. So again, I think that we get more special interest government than partisan government. And I think that's why more and more we get politicians who don't want lots of questions asked in public, because it will either make their own base or their own partisan enemies be able to question them more. And so in the, I think in that environment where they've tried to sort of reduce it so they can't be questioned as much or as often. But what's being lost, whatever partisan gain that that has for them or for these political parties, what's being lost in the wash is Orange County's collective quality of life. And we're just lucky here that it's a relatively young county, that most of the infrastructure is still relatively new, but there's a host of different issues, environmental, traffic, housing, crime, and others. Well, we have a drought coming. We have, I mean, a drought making its home office and burrowing down. We have, and there are other pandemics, epidemiologists warn us that will come our way. So there's lots of things that are opening up and will revisit us. So the stakes aren't going to get simpler. They're going to be more unwieldy. And it's sort of nerve wracking to see no leadership. Well said. I'm terrified as well. Uh, I wish we would uh, see something better. There's places in central Orange County, they're going to become hotter and hotter and hotter. And the question is, again, is should there be more canopies space created there, more trees? We see electric bikes every other day and one wheels and all kinds of alternative transportation. Well, how much of that can be used to take roads, cars off the road? If not for environmental reasons, just for those of us that drive to have a smoother commute, things like staggered starts for work. I mean, there's really, like I said, an exciting time in front of us, a complete reset on so many levels that our political leaders could be doing a much better job, I think, of leading. Uh, And again, you see the governor's being recalled. That's another office that's had a lot of stop, start, back and forth. 
not that much communication. Those press conferences weren't that much better than the county press conferences. And those have also ended, by the way. We don't see them anymore. I think, again, there's just there's an incredible lack of information about our local government that's handy. I think you were talking about this earlier. How do we get involved? How do you go and look well, before at Before we do that, I want to I want to just stay a moment with some of those improvements that you were talking about, how there could be a greening in different fashions, a greening of the urban scape. And so it sort of, if you recall, and there's a term that's called having nice things. And you can recall of how in the South, the swimming pools were taken away from everybody because there was a matter of not making them available to, to black community members. So nice things were pulled back. So the nice thing could be how the urban scape could be much more lovely, much nicer for everybody's benefit, but it's just too visionary for the Board of Supervisors to put together some schematics to make that a nice thing in our cities, in our downtowns in Orange County. Is it, it like a lot like the pools, the swimming pool facilities in the South? Well, I don't know about, you know, I don't know if it's that. I mean, I just no, know. No, but the nice thing, it's a deprivation. Lack of leadership is depriving us of a kind of community that would function and look so lovely. We're being deprived of that without any kind of vision. Without doubt. Yes. Yes. The current leadership that we have in place does not seem to be performing to be able to lead that kind of a a place in an area as vibrant as Orange County. Because it's not like there's any shortage of things to work with here. I mean, there's an amazing economy. There's an amazing talent, universities, startup, capital, high tech. I mean, you name it. I mean, you know, Orange County is an incredible place. And there should be an incredible buzz about this area and a lot of excitement about different ways of dealing with homelessness and urban development and open space and beach protection and watershed enhancement. And even things like, you know, redoing the Santa Ana River into a more uh, naturescape. Again, just there's a hundred things here you could be doing on that process. The board of supervisors should be leading that discussion. They should be convening those kinds of meetings right now. Pretty soon they'll be deciding redistricting. Let's talk about that because with the rollout to the press, I don't know who at the Voice of OC was there. I, I couldn't see the other attendees, but the rollout, it even was couched in ideological terms by the way it was characterized, the delay of our handling the census data for mapping the Orange County Board of Supervisors districts they attributed it to the pandemic, and we know there's another half to that equation, and that was not given lip service. If ever there was an argument to have citizens redistricting commissions, this is it. I mean, to, to put five politicians in charge of redrawing the lines that they run under is, I mean, crazy to expect a good outcome for the community out of that. Well, and I'm going to mention to listeners and to just remind you, Norberto, that the early August public workshops, they're not going to make it easy for people to be a part of them. And I want you to comment on the sites. They're Mission Viejo, Fountain Valley, Orange, Fullerton, and Costa Mesa. That's it. Yeah, there's not a lot of them. Like I said, there's not a lot. And redistricting is a hard process, too. I mean, some things about government aren't easy. You know, redistricting can be very confusing. There's a lot of different ways to redraw lines that can join and separate people. So it's a, it's a process. We'll probably here, you know, consider doing some things as well to raise 
consciousness about it. Maybe the local universities will do things, but I think we'll again, try here too. Yes. Yeah. More and more, you can't depend on the, these political leaders to inform you about these things. This is where, as you've talked about earlier, so eloquently, you need local media, you need a civil society around the government. That's the only way to really get good government, I think. So are you, so Voice of OC is going to be obviously tracking all this, but I, I just think to the decision of where those workshops are going to be, I just don't see the large cities aren't going to be where those are had. And they're, they're sort of begrudging when they were rolling these out. They said, we are going to follow the law. We are going to do what we are told to do. It's a strange kind of a tone to deliver this kind of a civic step taking. Did you pick up on that tone too? Yeah, it's a, it, like I said, it's consistent with everything that we've seen out of the county government, which is a real reluctance to bring the public into a conversation. Okay, so we're folks, stay tuned. Well, we're going to talk about local media and, and how important it is for people. You need to support it. it. It doesn't exist without people supporting it and, of course, consuming it. So we'll do that as the, as the last lapse for this interview. But I want to talk about the remedies. Now we're ranting and we're raging about the status quo and the Brown Act can't save us. Can that be pursued or is that a slow motion way of stopping what are have to be some kinds of, of, of violations of the Brown Act, the, the number of political elected officials who are allowed to meet without a public notice? Well, I mean, look, the Brown Act, I mean, the Brown Act can be updated and, it, and you know, there are battles to do that every year. You do have a lot of secrecy in government. These days they have, for example, records retention policies that in some cases destroy emails months after they're created so that they're not leaving you know, any record for anybody in the public to be able to hold them accountable to. They meet less and less. So they're just not meeting as much. You wonder if they're daisy chaining decisions, meaning that they kind of talk to each other in different groups and gain consensus that way. I think that that's something that will be tested with the Brown Act lawsuit that is being waged in Anaheim against the stadium uh, sale. I've seen more people ask questions about buying a used car than that entire city council did about selling 150 acres of land in the middle of their town. So I think that, you know, those are things, again, where it takes citizen activists, it takes legal advocacy, it takes press. It takes active citizens to hold your government accountable. It, it, so it does not happen by magic. It's not easy. It's like weeding your garden and it's never over. It continues year after year. You may elect people that you think have the same badge as you, but they're not always going to do what you think they should do. And they have a lot of special interests in others guiding them. There's tons of pressures on these people. That's why I don't think that they can necessarily be depended upon. And again, our system is set up. I always say it's like a Home Depot, do-it-yourself government. Well, do it yourself and you know, there's a yourself in there, right? You've got to show up. Things like redistricting, they will do it right in front of you. Why wouldn't they? They can't, right? right? Why would they go set up more difficult election rules for themselves if they weren't forced to? They didn't have to. And you're right. That's where I think that Orange County, we have a civil society that we are not seeing you know, that kind of public calls for a citizen's commission of redistricting for the life of me. I don't know why you would not want that. Why wouldn't you want a bunch of, say, grand juror type people who don't have a stake in the outcome, sit and figure out what the rules should be, what the, where the lines should be for uh, people running for office. I don't think any partisan should be doing that, but that's what they'll try to do. And, you know, whoever's in charge of that process, again, if we as members of the public allow that, 
I mean, the entire aim of Voice of OC and media in general is to give citizens information so that they can then take it and act upon it and, you know, have their voice heard. That gives you a vibrant democracy. It doesn't necessarily give you one outcome over another, right? Because again, government is much more complex than good moves and bad moves. There are moves. Some of them we thought was, you know, they closed down mental institutions in the 60s because of abuses there, right? And everybody thought that was the right thing to do. And everybody did it. The governor, the legislature. Then the idea was that they'd fund nonprofits in the community to work with these groups. They wouldn't end up in institutions. And then guess what? They just kind of forgot to do that. Never did it. And so we've seen this homeless population grow. We did the millionaire's tax. And what do we find in Orange County? They sit on it. You know, when you tell them, what are you doing? They tell you that they're building a Mind OC campus, a mental health campus that eventually will get there. Eventually. Imagine your family member in the middle of a wildfire and being told, no problem. We're building a building and in a few years, we'll get to them. I don't, you know, that doesn't make any sense to me. And yet that's what makes sense at the county government, at the $8 billion county government. So I, I know we're talking about remedies and one of them being about how to fix the mapping uh, redistricting process here. So, and not to take away from that fire you're talking about for a household that needs the support of public health institutions. I've, but just to finish up the part about the redistricting process and remedies, can you give us any kind of scoop, do you think, that speaking to the community closest to Radio KUCI, whether there could be some movements of lines around that might fit us in a different kind of district that would dilute what the demographic might otherwise be interested in. I don't. There's been, I mean, there's been very little indication. It's all conjecture then, yeah. Pretty much. We ought, but that's where engagement, right? That's civic engagement. So people aren't, oh, I didn't know that, you know, that that was going to happen. So we wouldn't know unless we asked the questions. Right. We this is where you'll start to debate over these maps and start looking at lines. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a poker game. You have to wait till you see the cards. Like, let's see what they come up with, you know. Right now, you can almost be guaranteed anytime there's a political process, it's being gained. There's insiders there that are trying to influence the outcome. That's why, again, as members of the public, you've got to be at that table. That's that old saying in the labor circles that if you ain't at the table, you're likely on the menu. That's labor. I, want, I don't know where that was originated. So that it's, it was a labor one. Okay. That's what I, I mean, that's what they say. If the worker's not at the table, they're on the menu. But every mm-hmm. women say that too about men's world. So <laughs> well, it, it applies uh, to any interest, everybody's there, interest. Not, exactly. If you're not part of that discussion, you know, then you're not going to be represented. It, it's not rocket science. And if you're there, you know, but the challenge is too, when people have different opinions, it's not easy. You know, those hearings, are not easy to go through when you have to listen to four hours of public comment. Having said that though, that's the job. And that's what local media is going to stay. I'm, I don't know if you're encouraged by, journalists are giving the due to the importance of local government, but of, of local media, local journalism, community coverage. So I don't know if in these particular times, if you're hearing a redirection back to community journalism in, within the last year and a half because of the pandemic and the local agency levers that have more of an impact than the more removed ones. Are you I hearing more of the do for local journalism, Norberto? 
I'm hearing more of a heightened concern about the lack of it, the more right. news deserts that are popping up and the lack of any sort of realistic monetization you know, process at the, at the local level. I hear more, you know, much more an attention to the, the challenge of not having local media around. I think more and more there's a realization of people. And you, know, you see it with community blogs, with these uh, Facebook groups and with others where people have sort of filled that breach I think that's one of the challenges where you want journalism is a lot of times we bring things that are sourced, you know, responsible with documentation. So that was an ethical way of operating. Yeah. Professional journalist, you know, there's a difference between that and necessarily citizen journalism. And it's a big difference, I think. And there's a lot of quality there to what journalists do. That's not to discount what citizens do, but there's a big difference between somebody that can check their own biases and bring you, you know, objective information. Now, I think in this current era with news organizations oftentimes seeing news as an entertainment product, I think there's a bleeding of the lines there at times with trying to make headlines or approaches to news that will, you know, engender more readers, but at the same time bring, you know, objectivity into question. I think that's a big danger for modern media to make that transition without losing credibility. And credibility is something that once you lose it, it's hard to get back. So let's give you a chance here to toot your horn, because it is part of the remedy section of this interview. How viable, how much support, how the trends are working to keep the voice of OC working for us. Well, I mean, all how are subscriptions trending and are there areas are you seeing your subscriptions are opening up in more and more communities around the whole county? I mean, what kinds of trends can you tell us so we can continue to rely on the voice of OC? Well, our readership continues to explode. I mean, on that point, it's you know gone over the million mark at times during the pandemic. The donations also have gone. I think we have more than about 5,000 donors throughout Orange County now. More and more, the smaller donors are, in a sense, waking up to the value of the newsroom. We have a good model. We keep expanding. You know, we're in stable shape. We, I think, manage our resources in a very intelligent manner. We work with a lot of students uh, and apprentice journalists so that we're also training people, you know, helping to get coverage into communities. We have partnerships with institutions like Chapman University, where we're working to send student interns into smaller cities so that they get more coverage. You know, our op-ed pages are more vibrant every day with more members of the community making a difference themselves in reporting issues out that might not, wouldn't otherwise get, you know, covered. Mary's Kitchen in Orange uh, or animal shelter issues. I mean, we've only got a couple of reporters, full-time reporters at Voice. I mean, again, it's 34 cities, 3 million people, billions of dollars in budgets, you know, that are going on around us. But, you know, I'm very hopeful. I think that our readership continues to expand, our donors continue to expand. We have a solid mission and you know approach that has not changed in 12 years. And the, um, of the subscribers, are you picking up people in new communities all over? So more and more people are engaged because they are following Voice of OC in new communities? Yes, all over. I mean, we can see when we do more coverage in South County, more coverage in North County, we've tried to make sure that we're moving around the county so that we can offer some people some coverage of those cities. And, and yes, the answer is, you know, donations have picked up all over. There's not a lot of places you can go and find out information about your local budget or your local public health department. Uh, you know, our media, for as large as an area as we are, we don't even have any broadcast affiliates here. So it's, it's kind of a unique situation. In some ways, it's frightening 
in other ways, it's exciting for a chance to sort of refashion uh, modern media around engagement as opposed to entertainment. And I think that our numbers keep exploding in a way that tells me that the readers and donors wholeheartedly agree that that's what they want to see. That's what they, that's news they can use. And are you working with the literary journalism at UCI at all? You mentioned Chapman, but how yeah. about UCI's group? Yeah, UCI, Cal State Fullerton. We have students from all three universities that uh, you know have interned with us. You know, we have a mix of students from all three universities at one point or another. And again, all of them have been wonderful. I mean, just absolutely year in, year out, the students get better. Their expertise gets better. I mean, this year we even had high school journalists that were in Anaheim and were asking questions about how their high school graduations were being financed or paid for. And we helped them get a series of public records that they needed to get access to. And they were able to report out those stories. So I, I see ourselves, we also have a great relationship with Santa Ana College. Uh, where we're based, Fullerton College as well. So really the entire you know, education community has really rallied around the chance to get younger journalists a chance to you know, both generate clips and learn more about civics. That's the other thing that we find is that once you point these younger uh, apprentice reporters at these stories, their own knowledge of their own civil rights and how the government works really goes up. Absolutely. That, and they are a joy to watch scrapping around and covering all this. It's just, I must say, my endorsement in this. Well, you've been very generous with your time, Norberto. I know that there's probably six breaking news items right now in the course of this interview you would like to have been able to follow in real time. And so I thank you for giving us your time today on Digging Out. And I hope we have a sort of an implied, uh, explicit now return. We can talk about Cuba in maybe the next uh, the next short while. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And thanks for your work as well. Again, the role of local journalists today is just more critical than ever. And you're well, doing a great job. Thank you, you're so gracious. I am only a citizen journalist and I don't ever hold a candle to what the distinguished staff and you do at The Voice of OC. But Norberto, I tell you, I'm trying. And so I'll try to do on my radio end to sort of try to match some of the grants that you all are setting up there. Hey, so your voice, your voice is appreciated and admired. Thank you kindly. All the best, Norberto. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Next week, I'm going to have on Joseph Avasar, president and founder of the Israeli-Palestinian Confederation. He'll talk about, among other things, the simulations they do, which are a way out from this intractable conflict over the generations. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone.